This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Every Thursday, we talk about our Making the Business Case episode, which is less about use cases, that's Tuesday, and more about the realistic considerations for deploying AI and getting an ROI from AI. And when it comes to deploying AI, we not only have to think about software, we also have to think about hardware. We not only have to think about how much money we can make, but also can we save costs on deploying these systems, which are often very computationally expensive and often very tough on the environment for exactly that reason. Our guest this week is Rick Kaye. He works in artificial intelligence business development at Microsoft. He's technically with M12, which is the venture arm of Microsoft. And he's focused on uh, the energy consumption of artificial intelligence systems and what enterprise leaders can do to reduce it, to not only save costs, but also save the environment. Um, he talks about four separate levers that we can use to reduce those costs that I think should be relevant for everybody tuned in to this episode. Rick is one of the many speakers at the AI Hardware Summit put on by Kasako Research that is kicking off on September 27th. Uh, if you want to check out the AI Hardware Summit, simply type it into Google, AI Hardware Summit. Kasako Research is the sponsor for this episode, and we're fortunate to be able to have Rick with us uh, on this episode as well. So without further ado, we're going to hop right in. This is Rick with M12 here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Rick, we'll start things off by talking about this uh, swelling growth in the use of compute resources as it pertains to AI. This has obviously been an area of focus for you and Microsoft Ventures and sort of understanding how this affects the future of Microsoft, but it's something a lot of people need to understand. Tell us a little bit about what you learned there and what people need to be prepared for in the future if we can tee that up. Sure. Um, kind of the first premise is that what I've seen is the world is melting. That's almost an undeniable uh, fact. And my research looks at how computation uh, that we need, both general computation, scientific computation, as well specifically AI computation is growing, you know, like almost a trillion times to the point where if we don't make changes today in how we do our AI algorithms and our hardware and our software, then in 10 years time, we won't be able to sustain mm. our AI growth. Got it. So. This, this talk uh, today and what I've been researching is ways that our industry can actually make changes today. And within three to five years, we can actually see uh, remarkable improvements in how much energy we consume for AI. And just for, so, you know, we've got a cost savings element for you enterprise listeners. We've obviously got a sustainability side of things here for enterprise folks who need to bear that in mind as well. Just as a, an overall tee up as to why this consumption is skyrocketing, you know, I think folks might be thinking out there anecdotally, all right, well, geez, some of those computer vision models sure do require a, a whole lot of layers and a whole lot of NVIDIA equipment. And uh, I guess that's eaten up some stuff. And all right, a fraud model, a chatbot, maybe not as computationally intensive, you know, per, uh, you know, unit analyzed, whatever, like a chat message versus, you know, a, a, a five seconds of video. Uh, but still, you know, uh, more than what it takes to run regular software. Is it just a factor of, you know, when we talk about AI specifically, is it just a factor that machine learning, deep learning are just really resource intensive or there what are the other elements that play into the sure. swelling cpu use yeah i think the fundamental challenge is that as ai developers the machine learning developer ai scientists almost always get bang for the buck by making their ai models bigger if you will yeah. there's you know as long as you have enough data you can grow <laughs> the model bigger and you get more accuracy it's just how it is now that's gone sort of on steroids now. If you look at some of these language models where you're trying to do language understanding, uh, where you're trying to actually read 
if you will, read text, maybe even summarize it. You know, you want to read a whole book and summarize it in one paragraph. How do you do that? That also acts as the front end to chatbots uh, for some enterprises. A lot of enterprises may turn out uh, automated customer service where you're trying to answer questions either online or actually with a with a voice interaction. Yeah, yeah. That's driven by NLU. And state-of-the-art NLU models have now grown 1,500 times larger. We're just talking larger in two years. And if you kind of look back to some of the vision models now, we're something like 10,000 times larger than those. So the amount of compute depends on what you're actually trying to do. But if you want to be state-of-the-art, large models seem to win. And that's where we're going. Yeah. So, so um, there's a, and, and of course there's folks, you know, even Hinton himself and others who are wrestling with the fact that, you know, is it, is it just more layers and more data? Is, is this the only game in town or is there some sort of middle ground where, where we can start to uh, think about reducing this? You know, there's considerations around AI hardware. Obviously you're speaking mm-hmm. at Kasako's event on, on, you know, a topic related to that. Um, so talk to us, I guess, a bit about some of the levers we can pull to reduce this. I'm thinking, you know, maybe if I'm a bank leader listening in or a life sciences leader listening in, I, I know I'm going to be growing my AI capabilities and it sounds like I'm going to be spending more and more if I want them to improve. What are some of these levers we can pull, Rick? So, yeah, that's a good question. Right? What can we do both today and then sort of going forward? Because, again, I plot in my research as anywhere from 100,000 times more computation to about a trillion times more, sort of the high-low uh, bounds for how large will computation grow just for some of these NLU models, if you want to deploy it across an enterprise, let's say, you know, we're not talking everything. We're not talking computational physics or, or, you know, trying to, to simulate uh, black holes or anything. We're just talking natural language understanding and some other vision models. As these things grow, they can now take over your data center operations. So that's, that's first what's at stake. So how, you know, the question really is how do we reduce that trillion times growth to something more manageable? And so there are three things, right? I agree with Hinton that, you know, it's real easy just to add more and more layers to a model or just more complexity in how many things get connected. But the science has to go into, well, how do I start small and stay small? And so there are techniques on how to automatically generate networks, one. Uh, and then so the key is to tie in energy as a sort of a cost, if you will. Yeah. Uh, energy is a goal for these networks. You know, we don't do that today. It's not an, an automated process, but these are things that we've seen uh, that are possible with some startups. So one, it starts with the AI data scientists. In fact, I show that you get the biggest leverage from the data scientist. Start with smaller models. Okay, so uh, you're, you're saying the mandate for the data scientist should be, hey, look, here's how we're going to, I mean, it sounds like you need a benchmark. Here's how we're going to manage energy use for, you know, X output, whatever our monicum of, of a measurement. You're, you're going to be accountable to this, and we want to start small because we're not trying to make this any, you know, bigger than it necessarily has to be to get the result. Is this what you're getting at, Rick? That's where we would get to. Now, to enable that, the data scientist doesn't have the tools today to measure how well they are or aren't doing, right? All they know is, well, I got this accuracy. I get these results. But he doesn't know or she doesn't know, like, how much energy am I going to consume? How much time am I going to consume? You know, or how many dollars am I going to consume in a cloud computing system? And that's one of the wins, but then the downsides of cloud computing, if you will, I could string together thousands of CPUs. What do I care 
right? As long as I can afford it, yeah. then yeah. I've just used a thousand CPUs. But, you know, how much energy have I done to create that model? So, so what we're trying to do is foment tools out there for data scientists to sort of measure how well they're doing. By the way, Microsoft Azure, as part of our carbon commitment, where we want to be carbon negative in 10 years, carbon negative means we actually want to be sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, not just neutral in terms of yeah, energy yeah. and CO2 emission. We actually want to be negative. So with that overarching commitment, we actually have within Azure ways to measure your carbon footprint of a, of a virtual machine out there in the cloud. So now you have sort of the start of a tool. We envision that happening for AI, and it's it's doable. The next piece, so you give the you enable the data scientists and reward them to sort of the, the infrastructure underneath. These are the tools that actually build the models. You know, you've heard of TensorFlow. Yep, yep. Maybe this gets into the weeds, but but TensorFlow and you know PyTorch, whatever you're using to build a model, now can be instrumented to actually generate optimum models based on energy, how much bandwidth you use, how much CO2 I emit, and all that stuff. That infrastructure is not there yet either. So we foresee that, where you can now measure and sort of automatically create new models through compilers uh, and optimization tools. Uh, so that's the second piece. So AI developer generates it optimally, compiler makes it fast and, and low power. And then the third is the hardware vendor can actually do something. And the problem with hardware, as you'll see in, in, in this upcoming conference, on average, it's only improved about two times every two years. Your yeah. hardware improves at a certain rate, and you can only go so so much better, just limited by physics and how much you're willing to spend on the hardware. And what we're showing is that you actually need something like 500 times better year over year if you're going to kind of meet that trillion X demand. So we're far from being able to deliver it with hardware. That's why, to me, it's the prior two, which is a combination of the AI data scientists, the software tools underneath, and the hardware. Got it. So in, in this is, you know, our, our audience, less, very few of them are going to write code on the weekends. But I think we yep. can still talk about the software side because, you know, this is one of the ingredients. And I think yes. even from a business Absolutely. conceptual understanding, we've, we've got to have our baseline here. You know, you're talking about having data scientists who understand that, look, compute and cost and, you know, cycles and what have you, we're, we're measuring you. And you're saying, you know, Azure has some tools there. I'm sure there's, there's, I know there's a lot of developing benchmarks around energy yep. use and AI. And then, so there's going to be an ecosystem, thankfully. So there's a bit of a mandate, a little bit of accountability, you know, that, that can be added. On the software side, is this about finding possibly through, through AI itself, but possibly through sifting through enough libraries of algorithms, which of them will get X job done with the lowest possible sort of spend. So I guess maybe even at that at that level of, well, okay, for this vision task, for this, you know, chat task, for this document search and discovery task, all these algorithms will get the job done. And then here's the performance in terms of speed, but then here's the performance in terms of energy cost. And now we're going to use not just the speed one, we're going to use both of them. And we're going to find an average that's that's going to be responsible for both. What you're saying is at the algorithmic level, we should be or will be hopefully assessing them by both criteria as we move forward. Is this correct? Exactly. And so, in fact, what the AI developer would see on the enterprise side is is a dashboard, right? Yeah. And so the models they create could achieve a certain goal, accuracy, 
with a certain speed or cost, basically, yeah. and a certain amount of CO2 footprint, let's say. That's yeah, their dashboard. Yeah, yeah, cool. But that requires tools underneath. And so that's the M12 sort of investment role where we're out looking for the startups that have the technology to actually both enable that and to utilize it to reach that optimum point that you just talked about. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, you know, are we really to presume this many cycles on this particular cloud machine is necessarily this carbon footprint? Like, well, what's the proxy there? You know, is AWS that much different than Microsoft? Maybe it is, right? Are we using one in Poland? Are we using one in, you know, where's it based physically? Is that going to factor in? I mean, to get to ground truth there feels like, uh, yikes. I mean, you know, we can yeah. have strong, we can have strong proxies, but ground truth sounds really, really hard. What's it going to look like to move towards that? I know the enterprise is interested. They want to save costs and be better for the environment. You guys want to invest in the right things. What's it going to take to get closer? Good point. Good. I mean, that's a really good question there, but I don't want to get too complicated because yeah, you can unpack yeah, that into course. a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Historically, data center industry has improved uh, significantly in terms of power efficiency. Okay. And in fact, 10 years ago, people predicted, oh man, data centers were going to just take over the Earth's energy. <laughs> we we just it, wouldn't yeah. have enough energy, right? <laughs> Lo and behold, it hasn't. And they've stuck it up around 1% or 2% of kind of global energy consumption, therefore CO2 footprint from the power generation. And I assert that that was achieved through low-hanging fruit. We were able to make power supplies more efficient and power generation more efficient and the servers got more efficient. You know, everything got more efficient pretty much to the limit, you know, maybe of diminishing returns. So your question really is about going forward, what's my proxy that I can look at that says, what's my energy consumption going to be like? And it's pretty simple with AI. It's how many multiply, sorry to get technical here, it's but fine, how many yeah, multiplies and accumulates I have to do per second. And that drives your workload, which then drives how many servers do I need? And some of these new models, these language models that I talked about, may take 4,000 servers all running in parallel for hours, days, or weeks. Right? This is the scope of how large they are. If you want state-of-the-art language understanding, and by the way, a credit scoring algorithm today, it takes in some factors, but you know, imagine a day when it takes in your social media. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I hate for this to happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's realistic to, to consider these things. So so now it's scanning your text feeds or your you know emails or whatever and and trying to understand those. So so you can imagine a day or even when I want to do video understanding, I'm watching a video and I want to see, well, what is that person really doing when they're interacting with that person? We know that vision science is still not at that level of human human accuracy. Yeah. So it's gonna take a lot. So the proxy is multiply accumulates, and then you can pretty much scale that based on different hardware and, and go forward. Other factors. Okay, yeah. Bringing something to mind here, Rick, that Microsoft obviously invested significantly in OpenAI. OpenAI, you're talking about natural language and the future thereof. Obviously, they've had some recent developments that have been pretty exciting around natural language and, and some really, uh, I think, groundbreaking results, at least in the eyes of many people in the community, right? Sure. Uh, you know, those those people want to look up, you know, uh, natural language generation, OpenAI. You can have a lot of fun just, just taking a gander at how much coverage there's been. It seems to me like genuine competitive advantage level artificial intelligence applications, not just like, oh, we can detect fraud just like the other insurance companies, right? If you, if you want to offer premiums that are like at such a razor's edge for auto that like you're always going to have the best price and still have the best profit mix, it's like it's possible that 
there's a, a bit of a whoever's the biggest and can just afford the most compute and just just kind of gobble up the other guys might, might just be able to pull ahead, right? I mean, it really feels like competitive advantage might also just be how much compute can you pay for? A little bit of a, a rough incentive for the environment. I'm not I'm not calling business bad. I'm not I'm not one of you know I'm not I'm not in that camp. But what I'm getting at is, geez, it really feels like to push the envelope, we have to kind of push against environmental factors. What's it look like to reel that in? Because obviously there's a real business incentive that's not wholly bad, but the, but then there's also this this tough side where, well, if we just pedal to the metal, we're eating up a lot of energy. What, what's the man? What has to happen there? I wonder. Yeah, well, uh, that's exactly kind of what drives my research, and and the incentives are there in place to just make your models more and more complex. That's just going to happen. It's going to happen in vision, in language, speech. You know, when you start fusing all these together, you're right. That is the arms race. Um, mm. And so, kind of the warning, and I hate being you know the warning guy, but it's really also turning it into opportunity. You know, the warning is. You know, at some point, that's going to grow to the limits of how much energy or computation we can throw at the problem. And so, so the opportunity is that is ripe for disruption when we're talking about a trillion times growth. So that flows back to the profit incentive. Right? We think about energy. So here's the other thing, the construct. So I talked about three things need to change, you know, the AI developer, the software tools, and the hardware underneath. There's a fourth one, and I think it starts with that, and that's a mindset shift. And this is not just for the hardware vendors, but it's also the enterprises and everyone. You have to think of, of the lifetime cost of owning an AI model, let's say, or the lifetime cost of owning you know, a certain compute engine. If you think about how much energy it takes to run it over the three years life of a, of a model or a, a piece of hardware, that adds up to almost roughly the amount of money that you paid for the hardware. They're, they're almost fungible when you kind of mm. play with it. They're, they're equivalent, you know, within, certainly within an order of magnitude, maybe even within half of each other. So now if I think of energy as part of my cost and my hardware or my cloud charges, I can start to trade those off. Maybe I pay more energy if my hardware is less, or maybe I can pay a little more in hardware and really drastically reduce my energy. Same thing happens Maybe if I make my model smaller, I can use less, less energy. So so all of these things start to have fungibility where I can trade them off. And, and turns out, as soon as you play that equation out, it becomes cost savings to reduce your energy and CO2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so now there's an accountability measuring stick, so to speak. And it, it feels challenging, Rick, on, on the one side, because so what you're articulating seems to be the mindset shift is not just all right, get some more compute, get some more data, throw it down there. That's how this stuff works. We all understand that. Keep going, right? That's one mindset. The other mindset is, yep. hey, we've got a trading set of factors here. We need to consider cost. We need to consider sustainability. And we need to consider performance. And now we're able to play some teeter-totter with the levers you've, you've talked about here today. Possibly some others we'll discover in the future, regardless. But at least the mindset will, will be there. It seems like the, you know, imagining the total cost is is tough because it's, well, geez, okay, this is the total cost given, I don't know, the, the amount of IoT data we take in for our insurance company right now, but, you know, or, or given the, given the features that we're, we're tracking on now, but we're going to discover that, okay, all these features aren't really worth anything. Drinking in a ton of these other features and these other new data streams actually drastically improves the business side of the performance or, mm. or what, what have you. And so 
it's, it's like, okay, here's what it's going to cost today, but how quickly is that model evolving and how much can we, it almost feels like we need a very quick measuring stick, one that we, we wouldn't need weeks and weeks to say, okay, here's what I think. It seems like we need a tight, you said equation, it seems like we need a tight one to at least be able to lick our finger and put it up in the air to know if we're doing better or worse because these right. systems are evolving so quickly. So in the, in this case, an AI data center, if you will, an AI exascale computer, because these, these computers now need to be exascale. We've, we've passed petascale. Yeah. We're now in exascale for some of these large uh, AI training systems. We've passed the point where they, they're on and off. They are running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, all year round. You can predict how much energy it's going to use. It's not like it's elastic here. So that equation is actually pretty simple. Uh, what's your workload? How much time? What's your wall clock that you have to run it? Bam, there's your energy cost. And then how long do I want to run that? So I assert that it's actually pretty easy to come up with lifetime cost. Similarly, if it's an IoT device, I know how long I need it to lay out there in the field, you know, and how much data it's going to send. You Product managers should know that. And then energy should be part of that cost as well as data feeds and everything else. And then you can look at the, well, what's my win reward? Ultimately, we need to not melt the globe. And and I think that should be the core tenet here, uh, is how do we reduce our CO2 footprint in order not to melt the, the globe from all these things that we're doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's hard to not get behind that one. I, I certainly... Uh... I don't have another planet I can live on. Uh, I imagine you're in the same boat as me. So most yeah. of you tuned in, I, I think we'll, we'll uh, concur. Uh, Rick, uh, cool to, to get an interesting perspective on a topic that we very rarely talked about here in terms of deploying AI, the, the, the realistic perspective on deploying AI, how much energy we were using. And if nothing else, we've done a little bit today, Rick, to move the needle on that mindset shift as we've got listeners in all different industries around the world who are now tuned into this perspective. Folks who are interested in learning more, check out the AI Hardware Summit just kicking off the very end of September. Rick's going to be one of the many speakers. Rick, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you're not already, be sure to follow us on social. If you like these episodes, we're talking about software, we're talking about use cases, we're talking about return on investment, and we've got some excellent guests from name brands. Obviously, today we're fortunate enough to have Rick from Microsoft be able to join us. Then you'll want to stay tuned on social as you'll not only get our episodes from this podcast, but also from our other podcast called AI in Financial Services. You should subscribe there if you're not already, and you'll receive all of our latest articles, infographics, and reports as well, which we publish regularly as soon as they come out on our Emerge handles on social. So that's at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter, or you can find us at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn. So that's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you on the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.